women don't want special treatment. Women want the opportunity to be normal. We're asking every workplace to treat women in a way which allows them to thrive and be normal, allow them to dictate what is the best for them to be staying in work as a productive member of staff. I want every walk of life to build an understanding of what menopause is and the consequences of it are. So every time we make a new piece of legislation, give consideration to what impact that will have on the menopause. Well, that wonderful voice belongs to Carolyn Harris, Labour MP for Swansea East, and it's a voice she uses in Parliament to speak up specifically about the menopause care we deserve. This is the Lizelle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. I'm Lizelle, and my mission is to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. And of course, a huge part of that has to be a discussion around our declining and fluctuating hormones in midlife and beyond. And Carolyn, trust me, is a warrior. What she has to say will enrage, enlighten and enthuse you, I promise. Well, she was first elected MP for Swansea East in 2015 and her front bench roles have included Shadow Home Office Minister and Shadow Women and Equalities Minister. And she now sits as chair of the All party parliamentary group on menopause, beauty and well-being, right up my street, and gambling-related harm too. Well, on top of that, she sits on the Women and Equalities and Home Affairs Select Committees and co-chairs the government's Menopause Task Force. She is a wonder woman. She's also a great ally of Dr Louise Newson, who's also a good friend of this podcast. And Carolyn has been a vocal advocate for more menopause representation for women in the UK and has, amongst other things, taken up the issue of HRT shortages and what on earth the government is doing about it. It's all well and good if we, me, Carolyn, Louise, you are having these conversations amongst ourselves as we know we do, but laws need to keep up with social attitudes. So what is the government doing to support menopausal women? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 
Oh, Carolyn, such a warm welcome to the podcast. And before we get into the government action, I'd really love to know more about your own experience of menopause. You know, there's often a personal reason, isn't there, that people become such active and passionate campaigners about certain topics. So I know that you weren't entirely sure what was happening when you started menopause. You actually thought you might be having a nervous yeah, breakdown. And, and the reason for that, Liz, is, and thanks for having me on, by the way, this is such a pleasure. It's got so much street cred amongst my girlfriends that I'm on with you, Liz, I can tell you. Oh, that's lovely. But back in 1989, I lost my son Martin in a road accident. And uh, oh, it was a really gosh. tough time. And I went into a really Terrible. dark place for quite a few years yes. but one of the things I was absolutely determined to do was to face it and not to take any kind of antidepressants and because I had um a, a, then Stuart was three I knew I had somebody else to live for and I needed mm-hmm. to be a mum to him so wow. I spent the rest of of the years up until 2010 actually trying to put not forgetting Martin but trying to put any kind of grieving on the back boiler because I really didn't feel that it was going to be productive to to start to grieve and I, and I didn't grieve properly mm. and in 2010 I had what I now know were fibroids at the time I didn't know and I spent about six months just non-stop bleeding it was really really horrendous oh my gosh and when I eventually went into hospital after they gave me iron and blood transfusions to make it safe for them to do investigations I had my fibroids, had these massive fibroids removed. Um, I never saw it again, but I don't know when my period stopped and when fibroids mm-hmm. started bleeding. So mm. I came out of hospital and that was in the November. By the December, I could feel myself sinking into a really deep depression. And because I'd lost Martin and I hadn't allowed myself that grieving time, I convinced myself that I was now reliving my grief and that I was grieving for Martin so Mm. when I went to my GP I was telling my GP about my anxiety and my depression I wasn't talking about anything else so after a sort of trial and error with different antidepressants I ended up going on antidepressants and gradually did manage to sort of lower the doses over the years but never really felt like me ever again you know I just I was me, but I, I wasn't the same. I didn't have any energy. I had no zest for life. I was constantly tired. I was literally working to live. I was just going to work, going home. Just really a rough time. Mm. I became an MP, mm. and I was in the House of Commons chamber talking about menopause and about how we needed to, to do more to support women through the menopause and how we needed to make sure the right services and access to the right kinds of treatment and support were there thinking that I had sailed through my menopause. And if someone was to troll Hansard, they'd probably find a speech saying, I sailed through mine, because I believed it. (laughs) I was contacted more and more and more by women, and they were telling me the symptoms and tell me how they were feeling, tell me what was going on in their life. And I suddenly realised, Liz, that all the symptoms that they were talking to me about, I was going through myself because I was excusing the fact that I couldn't get up Mm. off the chair without being really out of breath and straining and, you know, aching and saying things like age doesn't come alone. I just thought that was part of growing older and being a woman. I didn't think that my restless legs and the itchy skin and the migraines and the brain fog, I didn't think that that was anything other than getting older. And then I suddenly realised that I was menopausal (gasps) and started to own it 
but was still very reluctant mm-hmm. to do anything about it because I thought I was too old to do anything about it. How old were you out of interest? I was 58 when I discovered I was menopausal. I was 60 mm-hmm. before I actually went to see a doctor and went on HRT mm. and was really mm. expecting the first answer to my problem to be you're too old for HRT. But I went to a private mm. doctor and I was put on HRT. Once I had that prescription and I knew that the medication was on its way, I was a thousand times better. I felt as if I'd taken control. And within a couple of months of being on HRT, I was a different person. And now, after two years, or nearly three years, I'm 20 years younger. My outlook, (laughs) you know, and how I look, how I feel, it has been absolutely liberating for me to take ownership of my menopause. Life-changing. Interesting, you you say in the beginning there that you, you felt low and had no energy, no zest for life. I mean, anybody who has heard you, has seen you, can see that that is clearly not the picture that you're presenting to the world now. Well, I think all of us got an element of the public and the private, you know, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of my bravado, if you like, is is for show. It's what hides the fact I'm quite shy underneath and it hides the fact that I'm quite insecure and mm. I've always had imposter syndrome. And I right. think if I cover that up by being loud and, and bright and noisy, that people won't think that I'm, I don't know, weak or something. I, I don't know. I don't know what I... Yes. I, I, I I'm not very good at, at being me publicly so the me that we get publicly mm-hmm. is the me which gets things done with the menopause and, and other things yes. the me privately is still a little bit like oh my god how on earth do I end up here somebody's <laughs> going to come along one day and tell me that you know I shouldn't be here I every time I win an election I think somebody's going to say we made a mistake with the votes you haven't really won mm-hmm. you know but that's that's <sighs> what women do we never think that we are up it to the mark is. Absolutely. You and me both. I mean, imposter syndrome is is a real thing, isn't yeah. it? I think we'll come on to talk about how much further we have to go in society, oh. understanding menopause. But let's just take a moment then to, to reflect and congratulate on how far we've come. Just the very fact that you are sitting in the House of Commons talking about this. It shouldn't be a momentous moment, but it is, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's one of those subjects where nobody expects it to be talked about on the floor in the House of Commons. And it's only a couple of years since we've been doing that. And the reason why we were doing that is I'd started to be contacted by some of the grassroots groups. We're all doing stuff in silos, not doing stuff as the whole. And I realised that every one of these women out there who are campaigning for better services are doing an absolutely fantastic job. But we need to bring Mm. it all together and come up with a plan as to how we can best help the most women. Yes. So when we had the opportunity to table a debate for International Menopause Week, or day as it was then, I thought, well, we're going to talk about it in the chamber, let's see what the reaction is. And I think, if I'm honest, I think I thought that it would be an empty chamber with a lot of sniggering and not Mm. a lot of content. And Mm. boy, was I surprised how many men turned up and spoke about their own menopause experiences with their mothers or their wives or their partners or somebody in their family. Women came in and start talking about what was happening in their world or in their mum's world. And -hmm. and it became something that everybody started to talk about. Mm. And we just built on it and built on it and built on it. And then in 2021, I started the All-Party Parliamentary Group on menopause, which is a cross-party group 
which she would look at a subject and look at every aspect of that subject and do mm. small inquiries that would feed into a bigger inquiry that we mm -hmm. present to the government about what's missing, what needs to be done. Mm. And in the May of that year, I was lucky enough to get a private member's bill. So for your listeners who don't know what that is, Liz, it's um, once a year, there's like a raffle, literally a raffle, where you put your name next to a number and they draw 20 numbers out. And those 20 numbers are guaranteed their day in the chamber. And the aim of it is, is to bring a piece of legislation into being so that whatever it is you want to campaign on, whatever it is you want to change, that's your opportunity to do it. Amazing. I wanted to do something on menopause. And I kept trying to think of what I could realistically achieve in the shorter space of time, because it's got to happen in a year, which would not mm -hmm. be contentious and would be mm -hmm. the least number of government departments, if I'm honest, because once right. Whitehall <laughs> starts talking to Whitehall, it falls yeah. down. And it was by accident I came along the HRT argument because up until then, HRT was not even in the story. The story I wanted to get out was menopause. We need to change the environment for women and menopause. And I'm Welsh, so we don't pay for prescriptions. And I was listening to a colleague saying that they had to pay £40 to go and pick up their HRT. And it was a bit like a eureka moment. I thought, my mm. God, if we can get mm. women in England to have free, I hoped, HRT, then this mm -hmm. is landmark. And it gets us talking about menopause again on a policy level, yes. changing policy, making legislation. So after a, a lot of months of arguing and toing and froing, I eventually managed to convince the government that they would make it a once-a-year payment of £19.40. So regardless of how many times you go to your doctor and your GP and your pharmacist, sorry, and get your prescription, you only pay the once, once a year. So even though it wasn't as much as I wanted, it was yep. better than I could have hoped Amazing. for. Amazing. And we've done that. And then once we've done that, then globally, other countries are saying, well, what are you doing in the UK? How have you managed mm. to get it on the parliamentary timetable? How have you managed to get, you know, West Westminster talking about the menopause? And that's made a massive difference yes. in on everything that we've done. Amazing. So when we talk about HRT then being on this one-time payment prescription, is that all forms of oestrogen and whether that's vaginal, transdermal and progesterone, should you need it? There is a list. There are very few exceptions, mm -hmm. but the ones that are not on that list, I'm in a battle with the government at the Good. moment to make sure they get on mm -hmm. there. So not everything is on there, but the majority of stuff is on there. And what isn't, we're trying to make a case for it to yeah. be on there. The only thing that's not on there, which is a big bone of contention for me and my next battle, mm -hmm. is testosterone. Oh, my gosh. I was just about to say, what about our little friend, testosterone? Well, we'll come on and we'll talk specifically about that. But I'm so interested to hear that background and that parliamentary process, which I think will be new for a lot of us listening. Certainly for me, it is. Was that particular bill part of what led to the creation of this new menopause task force? And has the task force so far served the role that you hoped it would? Uh, it was because of that. And no, it hasn't. Right. Um, it was lip service. So okay. when we were writing the bill to get the cheap or the free HRT, if I'm honest, I looked at the piece of paper and I thought, that's not a big girl piece of legislation. <laughs> We need to have a big girl piece of right. legislation here. It looks a little bit... Mm. So we 
said, could we have a cross-government task force? And they said yes to that immediately. Mm -hmm. And then said, will you co-chair it? So I couldn't say no, but I've been bitterly disappointed in what it's done because it's done zilch. Really? What I am really pleased with is the way that the APPG, which is a separate committee that I chair, Mm -hmm. has done the work. So we are plodding on doing our inquiries and feeding into the government. The platform that the government has given us they are not doing what they should do. Right, interesting. Well, what, what is an APPG? An APPG is an all-party parliamentary group. So it's a group of um, parliamentarians and people from the Lords who have an interest in a subject and who come together. And it's a little bit like the setup of a select committee when we do an inquiry. So we are there and we decide the topic and people come in and they talk to us about their interest in that topic. We ask them questions and then we compile a report which we then present to the Department of Health about where we think they're going wrong, what more they need to Mm do, how they can change things. And what has become really apparent is that it's not just the Department of Health. We need to be targeting the Home Office because domestic violence increases Mm -hmm. in menopause. Mm -hmm. Suicide increases by 16% in menopause. Women are giving up work and ending up on long-term sick. Mm. Women are not paying enough national insurance. So by the time they qualify for state pension, they don't get a full pension. Because they've been out of work, yeah. Yeah. So then they become dependent on pension credit. Businesses are losing women because there are no valuable members of staff are walking away. Mm. There are women. I mean, and last Friday, I went into a women's prison Mm. and was talking to women in there who are either perimenopausal or menopausal. Their experience of it is even tougher than us because at least we can shower every day. At least we can change our underclothes. At least we can buy decent sanitary products. We're not sleeping on plastic mattresses. We're not locked up for... 12, 14 hours a day. Oh my gosh, I have to say, you know, women in prison is definitely something that's on my heart and on my mind for two reasons. One, the practical aspect of, you know, can they get their HRT? Can they get all those amenities that you've talked about for basic human dignity? But I guess, you know, broader and maybe a subject for another time is the miscarriage of justice that may well have happened in so many cases. How many women are behind bars? Because what has got them there was driven by hormonal activity in whatever form and you know why why is this not being taken in or maybe it is I don't know you you can tell me briefly well that's something I am very passionate mm-hmm. about Liz because I, I when I think back to how many women we put into asylums mm. thinking that they were insane mm-hmm. when they were actually menopausal yeah. I, I would argue there's not that much difference with the number of women we're putting into prison now assuming them to be criminals yes. when most of the, a lot of them are victims yes they're victims of somebody or they're victims of their hormones. Mm. And when I was listening to some of these women on Friday, I mean, not all, I'm not saying sure. that there should be no women in prison. Sure. What I'm saying is we should be looking at it as, um, yes. as a reason to drive their activity. When we think about women's behaviour in prison, how many women post 40 are in prison for the first time mm. with no... Uh, clear explanation or understanding of why whatever they did has led you know, what them there. suddenly was the trigger that, that, that yeah. they lost it or yeah. something happened yeah yeah I mean I've done a lot of work on problem gambling and mm. the number of women I've met who've turned to problem gambling on their phone at four o'clock in the morning because they couldn't sleep right. they didn't know what was wrong with yeah. them they picked up their phone and they ended up 
gambling on their phones mm-hmm. and ended up committing a crime to fund their gambling. We know that the number of women who are being picked up, arrested and imprisoned for drink driving has increased over 40. Gosh. Women turn to alcohol. It's self-medication. Yes. yes. Um, there's a huge, huge piece of work that we need to do around the criminal justice system and women. And it's I'm on that part. I've got some ideas mm-hmm. that I want to... Try to do some pilots in in a woman's prison, and I I think Gosh. we should be we should get it done. I mean, I I'm really optimistic we can do this, but we could change how women are treated in prison. We could change how women behave in prison. More importantly, we can stop women from going to prison if we put the right resource in at the right time. It, really fascinating. Well, count me in on all of that, please. If I can Thank use you. any of my platforms, you know, to, to help with this cause, it's so important. You obviously are at the cutting edge of listening to your female constituents. They write to you, they contact you. What are the main concerns that they have here? You know, I know that there's been a lot of uh, dismay with the appalling HRT supply shortage, for example. So I don't just hear from my constituents on this subject. Mm. I hear from women, not just from across our country, but across the world, actually. The biggest complaints are women not being able to get a diagnosis, women not being able to get access to the right HRT, and that this, you know, because this local formulary is restricting our postcode lottery of what HRT is available where, and some women are on HRT which doesn't suit them, but because of a lack of choice, within their own local, their, their health board, they're not able to change. And the HRT shortages are massive. Absolutely so what, what, massive. What, what caused those, do you think? Sorry to, to talk over Well, you. we did, Liz. I mean, I think we did. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, awareness. Is, is it really supply and demand? Is it the fact that so many women have, have been able to wake up to the benefit and the safety of HRT, that it is simply a supply and demand issue and that it will regulate itself? Well, it should do. I mean, what would help is if, we had menopause on the coughs. Are you aware what the coughs are? No, tell us. Right. So the coughs are when you go to the GP and you've got a broken foot and they send you for cholesterol tests and you think, why on earth am I being sent there? <laughs> it's because every GP surgery will get paid for gathering data that would pre-guess what a certain health condition is likely to be like in X number of years' time. So if, for example, they do cholesterol tests and you've got a rising cholesterol, they will then be able to tell the government that they predict X number of their patients in 10 years' time will have high blood pressure and potentially have heart disease. That's called the coughs, but the doctors get paid to do that. There is nothing on the coughs that talks about menopause. So if a doctor had to do these tests, had to have those conversations... Mm. So that they were asking women the question, if a woman of 35 turns up out of the blue and is suddenly anxious or suddenly is having sleepless nights, is suddenly having aches and pains when she's never had them before, if they were to ask the subsidiary questions, which may build the picture of perimenopausal, menopausal, then the government would know further down the line how many of that surgery's female patients are going to be entering the menopause and they could be working with the pharmaceutical companies to know that you need to be producing X amount more HRT in X number of years' time. Mm. Because currently, there are 13 million menopausal women in this country. One, three. Who are are menopausal? Perimenopausal, menopausal. And only one, four, 14% of them 
are actually got a diagnosis and are actually on medication or right. support. Or support. Gosh, 14% have been diagnosed yep. out of that, that number. That's millions, literally yep. millions of women walking around unaware and you know totally. potentially being prescribed antidepressants which we know there's no clinical evidence yeah for, for, for menopausal low mood i have to say you know the idea of our hrt czar which was introduced last year seems to be fairly low-key i mean do we need one is it a useful role or a superficial we title do we not even have one no so <laughs> The reason why the czar was put in and the lady who took on that task was the lady who was doing the vaccine rollout. So we caused so much noise about the fact there were shortages that as a knee-jerk reaction, the government said, OK, we'll put a czar into place who will control a supply and demand and we will get the straight. So we came up with a list of suggestions that they could introduce, which would free up the local formulary, introduce a national formulary so that all products mm-hmm. were available all across the country Great. and not limited yeah. to certain geographical areas. We suggested other things as well, but that was the main one. The czar came in, had meetings with the pharmaceutical companies, said, can you get this done? They said, no, we can do this, we can do that, and left. And we still got the shortages. Right. Okay. What we need is a national formulary that will solve the problems. Because I know some pharmaceutical companies have warehouse full of HRT, which is body identical, but it's not in certain geographical really? areas. Gosh, it almost makes you it's want criminal. to move house. And of course, if you look further afield, I've got friends living in Spain, for example, they can just wander into their chemist and buy it over the counter, yeah. no issue. If only we could do that. Well, you can if you're a guy with Viagra, but that's another story. Well, that's another thing. <laughs> Within two years of Viagra being yeah. invented, it was available over the counter. And, you know, from what I'm hearing from doctors, you know, there are more health risks surrounding heart issues for guys, you know, with that than there are with HRT, which is shown to be heart protective. So it's it's a madness, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. You, know, you talked about in May of this year, bringing in this sort of prepayment certificate for accessing HRT for the first time. As well as how many people who've bought that, you know, where, where, where do you find out about this? How, how is it easy to get? Do we just literally turn up at our GPs and say, you know, you I, can I, apply for it, but it's okay. on the government website. Is and it? then you apply and then you get the certificate that you won't get refused. Everybody will get access to okay. it. It's on a government website. Well, the PCC. OK, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that we put links to that. I know that you're also particularly keen to ask the government what they're doing about raising awareness of the links between menopause and dementia or certainly menopause and cognitive decline. Where are we with that? Ah, like anything else with the government, we don't know. It, we we back, we know we keep on about it. I've actually put that on the agenda for my the next menopause task force meeting, which I believe is at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. But we've not met since Boris Johnson was prime minister. Gosh, that's yeah, so, well, lots happened the since AP- then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the APPG is going to just forge ahead and do our own inquiry. We did one on dementia a couple of weeks ago, and. We're just going to focus on doing our stuff, getting it out through the media, mm-hmm. getting it out in reports to the government, making sure that the women know that we're doing the work and using the platforms we've all got to hammer home the message that unless you, you actually shape up, then you are missing a golden opportunity to actually help women at the time they most need mm. it. What can we do? You know, we all have, if you're listening to this in the UK, we all have a local MP. Yeah. Should we be contacting them, dropping them an email yeah. saying, I hope you're watching this, the APPG is something that you might consider joining. Can you please report back on, on what you are doing to support midlife women in your constituency? 
that's about perfect. The words you just okay. put there are about perfect. That's all we need. Okay. Uh, and every time that does happen, yeah. every time I do a podcast and somebody actually makes that appeal, I will get a surge of MPs joining. Brilliant. The APG. Yeah. So it does it work. It does work. Okay. We, yeah. But we also need them to be actively involved. Yeah. So if, for example, you have any kind of local menopause groups or you have a coffee morning or you have any kind of event where you want to talk menopause, invite your MP to come along. Okay. Make them listen to your story. Make them mm. understand how desperate it can be sometimes. Yes. And, of course, the overall saving to the health service... Phenomenal. ...is potentially phenomenal. I mean, that is no word of a lie. And, of course, the impact on business, employment, mental health, family breakdown, all of that. It, it's just so many positives. So in an ideal world, then, Carolyn, what does a, a visible and an impactful menopause public health campaign look like to you? To me, it looks, I mean, it would be official, rubber stamp it, everything that we all already say. It's about, women don't want special treatment, Liz. Women don't want to be treated differently. Women want the opportunity to be normal. Mm. And that's all we're asking mm. for. We're asking every workplace to treat women in a way which allows them to thrive and be normal with the aid of some minor adjustments like open windows, fans, air conditioning, decent uniforms, toilet breaks, flexible working, allow them to dictate what is the best for them to be staying in work as a productive member of staff. It's about the recognition within the criminal justice system. And I have started visiting courts and talking to judges. We, I did the Old Bailey a couple of months Amazing. ago. They were really receptive to hear what we had to yeah. say. But an understanding of menopause may be responsible for this. Mm-hmm. You know, please, can you think about this before you actually make a decision on some, on a woman mm. that may be there because of the menopause. Mm. I want every walk of life to build an understanding of what menopause is and the consequences of it are. So every time we make a, a new piece of legislation, give consideration to what impact that will have on yeah. the menopause. Phenomenal. I mean, starting young then, do we need to be including menopause in the school curriculum? I would say yes, because I think... Well, I certainly grew up at a time when we didn't talk about such no, things. same here. You know, we didn't talk about periods. <laughs> and, and people laugh at this, but I can remember my mum and her two sisters having a conversation about one of my aunt's menopause and them asking me to leave the room. And I was 36. What? <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were 13. <laughs> I was 36. It was too sensitive an issue for my young years. Oh, Carolyn. But that's what the old style thinking yeah. was. They wouldn't dream of talking about the menopause. So I think young... and It's surprising how many young women contact me, and young boys, actually, mm. and say, I think my mother's menopausal. Yeah. She's behaving this way. Mm. Do you think my mother's menopausal? If there was a basic understanding in schools of what it mm-hmm. is, then I think... There'd be a lot more respect from youngsters for the older generation for a start. Mm. Why can't every time a woman goes to the doctor for a female-only appointment, should we say, Mm. like postnatal, Mm. smear tests, Mm. coils fitted... Why isn't she given an information sheet? Oh, my goodness. This is what menopause looks like. This is, you know, I have had five children. So five lots of, you know, fabulous, you know, GP, antenatal, postnatal, midwives, health visitors, you name it. At no point 
did anybody say, actually, do you know what, Liz? You know, when you get into your 40s or whatever, you know, you'll notice some changes. This is completely normal. Come back and talk to us. This is how we can help you. And these are some of the warning signs. And it's a simple leaflet could do that, Liz. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, stay there, Carolyn, because I do want to come back to look more at NHS care for menopausal women and in particular how we need to be supporting menopausal women in the workplace. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So then what's the groundswell of feeling, Carolyn, in your constituency, particularly around NHS care? I mean, first of all, the NHS do an absolutely fantastic job. But one of the first things to remember is that 45% of NHS workforce are menopausal women. 45%? 45%. So when we think about the staff shortages, yeah. when we think about the pressures on them, you know, they're working in this environment and they're going through what a lot of us are going through. So I have every sympathy and I, I have every praise for them. But the system, the actual NHS is not geared and doesn't recognise menopause as a primary health condition it always seems to be one of those subjects which they try to put on to a specialism mm. and how can something that affects 51 percent of the population be a specialism truly to god somebody's realized that this is the key to so many problems is 
Let's tackle menopause. I mean, it's not like it's not going to happen if if, exactly. if you know if you were born female. Exactly. Frankly, if you live long enough, it's it's a given. You, have a you are going to. Do you know what training our NHS GPs currently get around menopause? I mean, we're not obviously blaming any individual GPs for any lack of care. It, it seems to me to be more a problem with the system. What would you like to see happening here? Well, for a start, we know that 41% of medical schools do not have menopause on the curriculum. Oh, I'm, I'm sitting here so, with my head in my hands when you say that. Yeah. So that means that doctors who are qualifying from those 41%... Even now, even have, today. Even now, even today. The rest of them do varies between 15 minutes and two hours. And our word is about oh, average. There are 40 please. symptoms. So by the time they've looked through those 40 symptoms without even analysing them, just looking at them, you're into two hours. So when they then go into general practice, unless they decide to go into women's health or they go into a practice where there's already someone who has an interest in women's health mm. and the menopause, then they never are going to learn about the menopause. No. That is why so many women end up on antidepressants or mm. being told they have early onset dementia or being told they have fibromyalgia yeah. or some other condition yeah, yeah. because... They go in with one symptom, just like I did, and self-diagnosed, I was having a nervous breakdown, and ended up on antidepressants. Mm. Women are not going in and saying, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got that. Because mm. one, we don't want to sound as if we're hypochondriac, and two, sure. they haven't got, we haven't got enough time. In no, time. and you're only supposed to talk about one thing, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, so mm. women are ending up on medication they needn't be on. Doctors don't understand enough to ask the right questions. Mm. So there's no dots being joined up here. Mm. And the upshot of that is we have a huge amount of women who are not getting any treatment or support. Now, there is no reason why prescribing pharmacists or prescribing nurses could not run menopause clinics in every geographical area. Yes. You could upskill, yes. and they call it upskilling, which I find slightly insulting because... <laughs> 51% of the population, it should be something that's on everybody's radar. Mm. But it, you could train the menopause nurse, a women's health nurse, or somebody who's doing the smears or doing sure. the coils. Yeah, they yeah. could learn the skill of that. Yeah. We could also, I mean, this is maybe radical, I don't know, but when we talk about occupational health therapists, when you've got women who are on long-term sick, why don't we train occupational health therapists? So when they're interviewing those women to try to assess the viability of them coming back to work or if they can come back to work, if they understood the menopause, then we could get women back into work a lot quicker. Mm, absolutely. And presumably a lot of this is a postcode lottery. You know, do we are we any closer to getting more menopause clinics around the country? Uh, no, not really. Oh, Unless somebody goes private. I mean, I yeah. think most most doctors who have chosen to specialise in the menopause and having to go into private practice to find a role in life because convincing health boards mm. that it's a priority. Mm. I mean, we are getting there and they're all they're all saying the right thing, but it's not happening quick enough. Mm. And we can't wait any yeah. longer. I think we've wasted enough women now. Yes. Enough now of time and enough women have been put out to pasture. There's enough water under the bridge now to know we need to do something for women. Just 
for women. I, that's one of the reasons I actually love the Balance Menopause app. Oh, I, it's brilliant. Isn't it brilliant? You know, for those of you who don't know, it's a free app. You can download it. You can actually download it globally. But what it does is it you fill in this little symptom tracker. So it fast tracks that conversation with your GP. You can monitor your symptoms so that you don't have to go into your GP and say, actually, I'd like to talk to you about low mood and depression, or I'd like to talk to you about headaches or achy joints or dry eyes or whatever it is. You simply download your symptoms and say, this is my list of symptoms. This is how severe they are. This is the regularity. This is what's occurring. Could this be a menopausal picture that you're looking at now? And then you immediately fast track that conversation in a totally different way than going in and saying, I feel depressed. Mm. And I I always find with the, the, the balance app, and I, I talk to a lot of women about this, is that it asks you about symptoms that you may not realise you have. Yes. You may just be ignoring it. You know, I, I I lived on ibuprofen for many, many years during my 40s. And I was convinced that I was highly stressed. You know, it was a time when my business partner and I, we were selling the beauty company. It was a hugely stressful time of life. You know, I was having marriage difficulties, all of this. And I just thought these crippling headaches are just stress related. And I look back and I thought, oh my gosh, if only somebody had said to me, actually, Liz, you're perimenopausal and this could really help you. Who knows what different outcomes might have happened in my own life? And I consider myself having, you know, got off relatively lightly. How many women's lives could we have saved, Liz? If only we'd had the right procedures and the right systems in place. I mean, literally saved. Every time I read a press report of of, of a midlife woman or a woman aged, you know, 50, 51, 52, you know, dying by suicide, it's you just immediately think, I wonder if she'd had any any hormone support. Okay, so something else that's probably going to enrage us even further is if what we've said hasn't been enough. Let's tackle the subject of testosterone. Are we any closer here? What's the trajectory for prescription of testosterone, which let's remind everybody is a female hormone. We produce more of it in our ovaries than we do estrogen. It's definitely a feminine hormone. Where are we with getting that prescribed for all women across the UK? Right, so currently... They say that you can only have testosterone if you can prove a link between your sexual health and your mental health. And I have actually met women who've lied sure. in order to get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I actually did um, a, a meeting with a group of women, not that well, a group mixed audience a couple of months ago, when one woman said she'd been trying for years to go on HRT and she couldn't get it. But when she went into the surgery and told the doctor that her husband was threatening to leave her because she didn't want sex. The doctor said, well, we can't have your husband being upset, can we? And he <gasps> put it on HRT. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So there's no... Words fail me. <laughs> I know. There's so little recognition of the other yeah. benefits of testosterone. Yeah, yeah. And if you are lucky enough to get it prescribed, mm. it's going to be the male version. Right. And you've got to kind of guess how much you need to take and... Mm. And some women have managed to convince GPs to give it to them. Mm. I am still paying privately for mine. And people say, well, that's an expense. No, it's an investment. Yes. Because you don't use that much and it lasts a considerable amount of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I ever have gone without it, I personally feel a huge difference in my brain fog and my my agility. I have personally seen how how lower I feel when I'm not taking it. So there's a battle at the moment. I know there are some companies who are trying to get their product through the MHRA to actually get them to license it in the UK. Mm -hmm. Currently, it's only in Australia it's licensed. 
and I pay for that product and I pay willingly for that product. Mm. But not everybody can. No. And if I wasn't doing my job, I probably couldn't. No. So I would be one of those women who'd be telling my doctor that my husband's going to leave me yeah. because I don't want sex. Yeah. Um, and it's a terrible thing to do, but you have to sometimes, yeah. women are having to resort to this in order to get a basic right to a medication they should have. And also, you know, I know women who've sent their other halves off to get a testosterone prescription because it's relatively straightforward for a guy and they're the ones who are using it or even women and this is not something I'm suggesting you do but I know of women who've gone to online pharmacies where it seems to be more readily available put a man's name you know on the email and and bingo there you go so and I mean there's there's it's it's shocking that that women should have to resort to this when of course you need to be under the care of somebody who can monitor you and, and help you with it so my plan on it now is hmm. that I've gone past the patient's part have gone now for right. me and we I'm intending that the APPG are going to be concentrating on testosterone I want to do a session on the benefits of it I'm happy to hear those from those who don't believe in it I'm, I'm no I'm quite happy to hear a balanced argument and then we'll put together a report and I am really hoping to get some traction behind with the yeah. media with you know people using their platforms Absolutely. to try to force change here that that we do get it on prescription and that we do get women able to access if they can take it, if they want to take it. If they it's want about to choice take it, for if me, you Liz. need it. Of course it is. You know. If you want it, you should have it. If you don't want it, then you yeah. haven't got to have it. Exactly. You know, we've as women, we've really grown up with the, with the slogan, you know, my body, my choice. Yeah. And, you know, where is that playing out when it comes to reclaiming our own hormones? And, you know, my, my last, I guess, bit of soapbox for this in terms of testosterone is I take it because my clarity of thought, my mental capacity, my cognitive function, my short-term memory, my word recall is back to how it should be, how it was when I was younger. And if I don't take it, my work suffers. No question. I mean, there, there is a study in America, isn't it, that we saw on um, Davina's documentary that was if you don't put it, the testosterone back in your body by the time you're 65, mm. then you've lost the window of opportunity. Really, yeah. So any prevention Gosh. around dementia is gone by the yeah. time you're 65. Yeah. And we can't have, you know, twice as many women are diagnosed with dementia than men. That tells you something, doesn't it? What's the main difference it's between us? It's our link. hormones. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's think about actually then how menopause affects women's working lives and therefore businesses more widely. We know that one in 10 women leave work because of menopause. So, you know, even if we want to think about this slightly cynically in terms of economic productivity, that's no good for the country. You know, these women are essentially forced out of the workplace through lack of support, would you say? Well, definitely. And four in 10 women actually reduce their hours. So, you know, so a woman may be working full time because she needs to. And I, the number of times I've heard this from women, they cannot get up every morning and go to work anymore. They just haven't got, they haven't got it in them anymore. And that's entirely down to the menopause. So not only are we literally putting women on the scrappy, businesses are going without really valuable, talented, loyal employees because they're walking away. Women are becoming possibly dependent on a state benefit mm -hmm. because they're not earning enough to live. So that's costing the state. Mm -hmm. They are probably going to be having medication for mental health, yes. which is costing the NHS. Yep. Or other but, things. Yeah, Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said earlier on, by the time they reach that pension age, they wouldn't have paid enough into their state pension so they don't get a full state pension and end up on pension credit. So once again, dependent on the state 
to top up their earnings. Mm. So it's a no-brainer for me. Why on earth are we not doing more to keep women in work by providing Mm -hmm. the kind of environment and the kind of support that allows them to stay in work, to be economically viable and to continue to live their life as normal as they want it to be? Give them the choice. Happier and healthier, for sure. How do you personally feel then about the concept of menopause leave? I mean, I I can... I I think I'd need to know how it works because I think a good employer, you wouldn't need to take menopause leave because a good employer should be flexible enough to actually provide you with all the kinds of um, things that you want. If you can work from home, then you should Mm. work from home. If you can have a fan or sit by a window... Menopause leave is for when you're at your lowest for me, and that's probably when you first become menopausal. So I, if that menopause leave could be taken over the year and not in one block, mm-hmm. then I think that would be more beneficial. I wouldn't want to see somebody having six months off no. and then coming back because during that six months, they wouldn't have all been bad days. Yeah, sure. So you may have one bad day every month. But... No, I think I'd need to know more mm. about that. But I I firmly believe that it, with a good employer, you wouldn't need to take the leave because they wouldn't yeah, be wages anyway. potentially, if somebody did apply for menopause leave, it could come with the proviso, the undertaking that you were assigned an appointment with an NHS GP to specifically discuss menopause and help for it because we know that if women are helped and supported, actually they can be helped back into work, which is going to help their self-esteem, their overall health, their well-being, you know, financial as well as as mental. So, and a good employer would know that the mm, more you give, mm-hmm, the more you receive. Totally. The more flexible you are, the more you're going to get back from yeah, yourself. Yeah. So then what utopian best practice and policies for, for business stakeholders, what, what does that look like in terms of menopause and the work? place i think every company's different what i'm really heartened by is the number of global companies who've come to me over the last few months and asked me to do talks for them not just in this country but in other countries where they have you know sizable workforces i've not yet met a company who's not willing to actually go that extra mile to make sure that their environment is safe and pleasant and allows women choice so i'm really heartened by that i mean i think Industry and the private sector is doing far better than the government is, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't want people just to have a menopause policy that ends up as a tick box exercise and then ends up in a drawer. It has to be proactive. The best people to decide what is better for them is the individual woman. So they need to have somebody within the company or within the team who actually is taking responsibility for having those conversations with one, the women, and with two, the person responsible for the re- for the resource that that woman needs to make her life more bearable in work. And anything from making sure it's a decent uniform to hours of work. And, you know, if, you, if you're working in a supermarket, for example, where you can't work from home, that the flexibility is there that you can work on the chillers today instead of on the till. You know, it's the basics. It's <laughs> the basics, that. isn't it? So yeah. I just want workplaces yeah. to... About it's about having respect, but valuing. It's about valuing your staff and valuing women and understanding that they are far better if you work with them than if you try to put in hurdles to trip them up. I don't want you to have another woman who's being dismissed or constructive dismissal because she wasn't able to do something which they blamed mm. on her brain fog or they blamed on her attendance or they blamed on her inability to do a specific job and we then discover it's menopausal. You know, we have to have mm. some kind of protection to make sure that people 
recognise that this is not um, an insolvable problem. This is not a mountain that can't be moved. This is about giving women normality. And that's my ideal environment. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, finally, Carolyn, I know that this is an audio only podcast. And I'm sure after I've asked this question, people are going to be looking up photos and images of you. Oh, God. Do you ever get fed up with commentators being more fixated on the current colour of your fantastic ever-changing hair <laughs> than your political points? And I have to say, having seen you in vision recently, not only your hair, but your amazing coloured nails. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the persona list. Like I told, I said to you before, I'm mm. I'm hiding behind nails, which I never had before I mm. went on HRT. Um, oh. Hair, which is now today, is blonde, purple, and turquoise. It's, it's not grey than it was three years yeah. ago. It was grey. I'm looking photographs of myself. Actually, oh. somebody said to me Saturday night. I'd gone to a a party Saturday night, and somebody said to me, "Are you Benjamin Button?" Um, yeah, you see, getting younger, and I said, "Well, no, I'm not." But HRT and collagen is helping me feel a lot younger, and I do feel as if the people out there on social media who love to discuss the sure. fact that I'm fat, <laughs> look like Dame Edna, my glasses are too big, and and I think if that's the only thing you can find to criticise me for, well, how pathetic are you? Carolyn, it's been a joy. I love talking to you. I love the connection that we have. I absolutely commit publicly to supporting you. You must reel me in whenever I can to help. And hopefully, you know, we can all be part of this extraordinary sisterhood, supporting other women, particularly women from socially disadvantaged groups who otherwise get left behind. And women with disabilities, women in prison, you know, there is just so much to talk about. But for today... A huge, huge thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Liz. Oh, Carolyn, what can I say? I just can't thank you enough for your time today. Literally, she clicked off and is rushing off to vote in the House. But more importantly, thank you for your tireless work, past, present and, of course, ongoing in the future and more of course from women who are really pushing the envelope in politics do listen back to our special international women's day episode with mps stella creasy and miriam cates two phenomenal women sitting in parliament at present time well if you'd like to listen to that episode all other past episodes and all future episodes ad free you can subscribe now to the Lizard Wellbeing Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. That small monthly fee will also get you 24-hour early access to all episodes, so you are well ahead of the conversation. Well, next time we chat, it's the truth about saturated fat. Trust me, you really do not want to miss that one. So make sure you click the subscribe button and we will chat again then. Until then, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.